Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté que la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey everyone, thanks so much for uh, tuning in and for joining us this morning. My name is Pastor Dom, I'm one of the leaders here and you've already uh, gotten a, a snapshot of some of the other great leaders who serve on our team and uh, I'm really, really blessed that uh, we have some great leaders who are helping us stay connected with you in this very challenging, strange, frustrating time. And so this morning, let me be the first one to just say that I'm feeling many of the things that you're feeling. I, I know what it's like to want to be together as I stand in our space, which I, I have so many memories of, of seeing people laugh and cry and pray and pretty much seeing empty chairs and uh, making it very difficult to just be able to stay connected through a camera. And yet I also know that as we learn together, there's all kinds of other distractions that we feel. Just think about it. Just as you kind of learn with us, YouTube has so many other videos popping up and encouraging you to watch something else, do something else. I know for many of us, our kids are there and, and we're trying to find time to make this a special time. It's going to be hard and it's going to take some focus and discipline. So I encourage you this year to just maybe do that with us. And, and really, we try to use the language of keeping Sunday special because it really is special. There's something really sacred about today as we realize that so many people who were following Jesus kind of started to shape their lives around this day as the first day of the week. And in a few minutes, I'm going to read a passage of scripture that's going to help us understand that better. Now, I don't know how you're going to remember the beginning of January 2022, but all of us will probably remember something about COVID and new lockdowns and new frustrations and new kind of issues with school and our kids not being able to go back to school. But can I just add one more thing that we would maybe add to the list of things we would say? Maybe we're going to also remember that January 2022 was the beginning of a new year where we took seriously learning about Jesus where we decided that we were going to grow beyond just kind of ideas about Jesus or maybe going to church, maybe being into spirituality, maybe even giving a bit and helping once in a while. But we're going to decide that it's not enough to just grow old. It's time to really grow up. And this is something that I think of for my own life, that a year will come and go and all of us will grow older this year, but many of us won't grow up this year. And we can decide today that we're going to grow in a deeper way. And we decided that we're going to encourage you together to come with us on this journey to return almost to the feet of Jesus, to start a teaching series called Jesus Rediscovered and to help us begin to say, okay, like what would it mean to rediscover at the heartbeat what Jesus was doing, why some people loved him and some people hated him, why some people thought they understood him and others didn't. And so for the next few weeks together, I'm going to encourage you to take time, whether you can do it on a Sunday morning or whether maybe you watch in the week when it works better or in the evening, to consistently join us to grow with us in this series. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus has been popular for many, many years. Actually, Time Magazine, if you can imagine, try to think of how many times Time Magazine or Life Magazine, I think it was called that before Time Magazine, had Jesus on the cover of their magazine. It's one of the most fascinating things to see how Jesus has changed 
or maybe looked different on different magazine covers throughout the years. Actually, one story that I read has Jesus as the cover boy of cover magazines. He's the cover star of magazines that you can buy and have been able to buy for years now when magazines kind of became popular. And one of the reasons this is important to remember is that Jesus sells. People put Jesus on the cover of a magazine because they realize that having Jesus on the cover of a magazine sells the magazine. There's something about Jesus that was controversial, but for many people, there's something also about Jesus that led them to follow him and to be curious. And we've just come out of Christmas, and maybe you felt that. Like the documentaries and the talks and the YouTube links and the podcasts and all these things about Jesus. And, and I, I feel this sometimes too. It can almost be overwhelming and confusing. Like all these different ideas about Jesus. That sometimes it helps us to just slow down and to go back to the scriptures and to go back to the most ancient documents that we have about who Jesus was. And one of the things I want to say about this series is it's very easy for many of us, maybe those of us who maybe know about Jesus or have gone to church for years, to think that, oh, this is not a series for us. Let us just be really, really honest about something that is very clear in the Bible, that those who thought they knew the most about Jesus in the Bible were usually the ones who were wrong. Those who thought they understood exactly who he was and exactly what he was going to do were the ones that were always shocked when he revealed something new about who he was, about who God the Father was, and about what he came to do. So I want to warn you, especially if you're someone who thinks, I don't need this kind of series. There were many people who thought they just understood Jesus. And maybe for each of us, it's a chance for us to kind of go back and to be like, God, help us to understand that there's something about this Jesus that catches all of us off guard. And there's something about Jesus that draws us into wanting to hear more about him, to grow and to understand. Now, as we begin the series, maybe you're going to come back to this first week throughout the series. It'll help you. I want to tell you about like a, an important practice that I've started doing for a few years now. And I want to encourage you to think about this. It requires you to kind of get a piece of paper and a real pencil, like maybe some of you still have those in your house, a pencil and a pen. And I often make a list at the beginning of a new year of all of the things in my life that will compete with me making time for Jesus. And I kind of write down in a little journal that I have a list of these things that will compete with what Jesus is, is wanting to do in my life, with the, the time he's inviting me to be with him. And as a pastor, this happens too to me. It happens because I can confuse, I often compete being a good pastor for Jesus or being a good pastor for people in our church and caring in our community for being present with Jesus. It's almost like being a parent who buys all these gifts for their kids but never slows down to even spend time with their kids. You can do a lot of things and there's a lot of things that will compete in your life with Jesus wanting to be with you, wanting to stretch you, wanting to help you understand his love and his forgiveness. Maybe Jesus is going to correct you this year so you grow in certain things that you've believed and have been wrong. Some of the things on my list are, are my uh, habit maybe to binge watch something on TV and go to bed very, very late. That will compete with me making time to be with Jesus. For some of you, maybe social media will compete with being and learning about Jesus. You'll spend countless hours scrolling on your phone, clicking links, watching what other people are buying, and all along there's this whisper of Jesus almost saying to us, put your phone away. Just slow down and come and pray. And maybe hear a parable in a fresh way. Or maybe just slow down enough to kind of learn with us this morning for one hour but let me tell you, one hour of learning together, 30 minutes of going through the Bible together will not be enough for the tidal wave of things that will compete for what Jesus wants to do in our lives this year. 
In my own life, I'm going to compete with my kids' schedule, their school schedules, their online schedules. Some of you are going to compete with your kids' sports schedules. All of these things are going to compete with what Jesus wants to do. My commitment to want to be a good husband and a good dad, that's going to compete as well. Because sometimes even good things compete with the things that Jesus is calling us to. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to find time this week to sit down, make a list of some of the things that are going to compete with our inability to slow down and to grow and to really follow Jesus and to learn what it is he's calling us to as we rediscover the new things that he wants to do in our lives. No matter what you put on your list, okay, one of the things that's clear that's probably going to be on every list and it should be on every list, that one of the things that will compete with us learning about Jesus this year is our false understandings of who we think Jesus is. We all have kind of an expectation of a time where somebody told us something about Jesus and it was helpful and it was a little bit true, but it wasn't the whole truth. And it becomes the kind of way that we always think about Jesus. I want you to maybe think about the first time maybe you heard about or you started to really learn about Jesus for the first time. I'll just begin this morning just with a confession as we begin this year. Like one of the earliest times that I learned about Jesus had to do with the time that my family was going through a crisis. I was fairly young. I was still a teenager. And my family was going through an intense crisis because one of my cousins had recently, she had discovered, the doctors had discovered that she had a really rare blood disease. And my family uh, made some connections with some friends. And let me tell you, we got serious about Jesus. We started reading the Bible. We started going to church. We wanted God to heal my cousin. You'll see a picture of her on the screen. My cousin's name was Gloria. And she struggled for years trying to work through health issues, hospital appointments. I remember all of our family kind of struggling to rearrange almost our lives around trying to care for her. And one of the things that many of us started to learn, and I learned this, that I would pray to Jesus for a miracle. Have you ever done that? That all the doctors can't help us. And, you know, I went to a church where people like, you know, we need the blood of Jesus. And if you believe in the blood of Jesus, you don't need anything else. We're just going to pray. That was kind of my first experience as a young teenager, kind of learning about Jesus. I didn't know much about Christmas. I didn't know much, much about the cross. Or I, I just knew that maybe there is a God and I think Jesus is connected to him. And if we pray to him, he will heal someone that we love. That was our experience. And I learned very, very quickly that maybe one of the, th- the reasons that, you know, Jesus would help us, that Jesus is the kind of God that does miracles. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. I'm like, if that's what Jesus is like, I don't know why more people don't follow him. And we prayed and we did our best to do that. And at 21 years old, my cousin died of her blood disorder. And let me tell you, I was upset with Jesus. I was upset with the church. I was upset with God. I had been given all these expectations of what God was like, And all of those fell apart when everything I wanted God to do, he didn't do. Each of us have something on our list that represents an expectation of what we think God is like and what we think God should do. But only when we go deeper in our understanding of who Jesus is do those kind of expectations and ideas get corrected. You know, it took years later for me to start to take the Bible seriously and to learn about Jesus in the right way rather than in a, you know, something I need from him and he should do this. And if he does this, then I'll get more serious with him. Maybe you've experienced that. I know people in my life, I know people in our church that are like, oh, if only God helps me with this, then I'll get serious. And you know what? They didn't stick around. Some people are committed to God because it helps with networks. Or they, they're, they're feeling guilty, so they'll get into God because maybe that'll take away their guilt. It won't help. We have all kinds of expectations and things. If only Jesus will deal with this stuff. And then we're invited slowly to read what the Bible says about what Jesus was actually like. 
Here's one of the things that helped me kind of rethink what I thought about miracles when I thought about Jesus. I'll read it for you. It's one of the first kind of rediscoveries that I had to make. It says this in Mark's gospel. Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. This was like such a wake-up call for me as I think about, you know, the fact that so many of us can almost want Jesus for the miracles he's going to do and never really care to follow him. Can you imagine that Jesus would go back to the towns where he did miracles for people, where he set people free, where he changed their lives, where we helped them understand God's love, and he said to them, none of these miracles led you to you following me. And the biblical word for this is to repent, to turn around. None of you saw this as an opportunity to see your lives turned around so you would follow me. Now, I get frustrated with passages like that in the Bible. I often think, like, why did Jesus do miracles anyway for these people? He knew they wouldn't turn around. But God is loving, and he allows us to experience his grace and his love, even sometimes when we don't do the right things. And yet Jesus reveals to us in this very simple passage that miracles don't often lead people to wanting to follow Jesus. Maybe that's something you need to correct this year. That maybe just seeing a miracle happen or God answering your prayer will not be enough unless you want to go deeper in understanding who the real Jesus was. This morning for our time together as we move towards communion, I want us to go to Luke chapter 24. And if you're at home, you have a Bible, you're able to slow down, maybe open up your Bible or an iPad or a tablet. Don't, don't like use your phone because you might be distracted if you, if you can avoid that. But, you know, oftentimes it helps us to go back to some of the places in Scripture where people were trying to rediscover who the real Jesus was as well. This is not only our struggle. This is a struggle that people in the Bible had. And in Luke chapter 24, we have this beautiful section of scripture where people who were following Jesus expected Jesus to do a miracle and he didn't. He didn't at least in the way they thought he would. He didn't in the timing that they thought he would. And they're discouraged and disappointed. And I want to take you back to this Luke chapter 24 section and I want to tell you right now that I'm not going to go through it all. We don't have time to do that. Many of you won't last. You'll get tired and be like, Don, preach too long, whatever. Okay? But I want you to maybe read all of Luke chapter 24 this week, okay? And at the beginning of that Luke chapter 24, we're told that on the first day of the week, as the disciples had gathered together, they realized that the Jesus that they loved was dead. That's kind of the feeling that you get. Like, there's a sense that Jesus has kind of said he would come back, but he's gone. And I think one of the most beautiful things we can do is we can go back to that, back to that time where Jesus helps people rediscover who he is in the tension of discouragement that he's dead and the fact that the resurrection is coming. I mean, this is really a passage that we usually hear a lot about during Easter time, but it's one of the greatest passages to feel what it's like to be discouraged when we just see a God or even in Jesus where he doesn't really do or respond in the way we think he should act. This is a great time to rediscover who Jesus reveals himself to be. And we're told that right at the beginning of Luke chapter 24, and we're told that it's the beginning of the week. Likely it's a Sunday. And people are kind of gathered together. Sabbath is over and they're discouraged. And some people are feeling that they've wasted kind of probably three years of their lives following Jesus who's now dead. I mean, they thought he was the guy. They thought he was the guy who was going to change their life. He was going to fix their problems. He was going to deal with all of the inequality in the world. He was going to deal with the injustice. And now they're like... Did we, how do we make this mistake? Like, really? What a waste of time. And we're told that two people decide that they're going to leave Jerusalem and head back home. 
In a sense, they're like, I mean, they've been to Jerusalem. That's where all the party went down. It's where Passover happened. And we're told that as they head back home, right, something beautiful happens. The real Jesus shows up. He just shows up as they're leaving, just feeling the weight of disappointment and regret that Jesus, who they loved, who they followed, is dead. That's what we're told. Jesus asked them as he shows up, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I mean, they're discussing a lot of things. They stood still and their face downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have been happening in, there, in these days? What things? He asked. Such a profound moment where Jesus shows up in such a way. Luke tells us that Jesus shows up and yet they don't realize that it's him. I mean, another thing that probably bothers you and me, it would bother us in a world where we think that we should know things and we should have the answer and it should be clear and everything should make sense. Jesus almost uses this delay to helping them see the whole truth right away because maybe they can't handle it right away. Or maybe that he's got to teach them a few things along the way so they can really appreciate who he really is. And they show up in this moment. Jesus shows up with them as they're talking and listening and he asks them this question and it's almost like Jesus invites them to keep talking and to tell him more about what they're feeling. And you know, this passage is very, very important because Cleopas, one of the names of the people, maybe you think of the name Cleopatra, comes from the same word, but it's probably a, a man, Cleopas, who's probably one of the first followers of Jesus that we know of, walking with a friend. He tells us something, that there's something about Jesus that had attracted the, the attention of so many people that the Bible says that they stood still. Like when's the last time you're walking with somebody on the street or going for a walk and they say something so ridiculous that you stop walking and you look at them. You're like, Bro, like seriously. It says that they, they stood still. Like they looked at Jesus and they're like, like where have you been? Do you not know that this Jesus person that some of us followed, that they killed him and that everything that we hoped for and everything that we believed died with him on that cross? Have you not heard about him? Even the beginning of the story of Jesus there's kind of stories about him and people are talking about him and there's confusion about him and people are wondering. And Jesus enters this moment of confusion and he asks Cleopas and he asks them, you know, just tell me about what's going on. Like, what is this thing you guys are carrying? What are the weights that you feel in your heart? And in a beautiful way, if you read the next section, I'll read it for you. You'll see they almost describe like in, in point form, as best they can remember the things that were happening. This is what he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, those are the things we were talking about. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all of the people, the chief priests and our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We just hoped it was him. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. I mean, it's such a profound moment because we get a snapshot into how discouraged Cleopas and this person are. That even after they heard from the women, even after they heard that Jesus was alive, they kind of didn't believe enough to stay in Jerusalem. They're like, it's too confusing. I mean, we don't really know the truth. I mean, we love the women who were part of the inner circle. They amazed us because they told us they saw angels, but it didn't keep us in Jerusalem. We're, we headed home. This Jesus, 
who we had so many expectations for, who we believed was going to set us free, didn't do the miracles or the things we wanted him to do. And I think it's so important for us to feel that. This year, many of the things you will pray for, Jesus will not do. Will you walk away? Will you just say, I'm looking for other options? I know many people who will. I've been a pastor long enough to know many people who will say, you know what, there's a picture of the Jesus that I want and that's not coming together, so I'm kind of done with all of it. This is not only a modern problem. This is not only a problem for us, us with the internet and all that stuff. This was a problem where people who were wrestling and feeling the tension of the discouragement and the pain that Jesus didn't unfold and do the things that they wanted him to do. They are rediscovering who Jesus really is. And Jesus is with them And he feels no pressure to tell them, hey, the women were not lying. I'm alive and I'm here. He feels none of those pressures, maybe because Jesus wants them to know that it matters to him that they talk about the things that discourage them. It always encourages me to remember that. That Jesus is never overwhelmed by the things that discourage us. That there's something about what Jesus does in this moment that he listens to them talk about what makes them upset and why they're mad and why they're sad. And Jesus just listens to them. Maybe you felt that this week, this month. Many of you have talked about this pretty much almost every day with a friend. And if you haven't talked to someone, you've posted about it on social media. The things that make you mad, the things that make you upset, the frustrations. Maybe just this year, you would realize that all of those emotions bubbling up in your heart also matter to Jesus. That you would, for the first time, maybe slow down to pray and to say, God, I don't know what to do with all of this frustration, this anger, this bitterness. Maybe in this moment, you're going to rediscover that Jesus is like, I'm listening, go on. What else is bothering you? What else has got you discouraged? What else has got you doubting? Tell me more. And, and I want the kind of Jesus that actually doesn't let me doubt or doesn't let me be discouraged. I want the kind of Jesus that makes sure those things don't happen. I want the Jesus who does miracles, don't you? But Luke says there was something about Jesus that he was teaching us to know that he was present with us even while we shared of our discouragements and doubts with him. They still don't know it's Jesus. They still are not sure who he is. Maybe this is the year that we learn to take all of our pain and our doubts and bring them to Jesus in a new way and feel the fact that he's not rushed or pressured to fix all of the things that seem urgent to us. I have so many things that feel so urgent to me. Over the years as a pastor, I've met with people who will call me or send me an email and and everything they're feeling in that moment, it's so urgent. So many things in my my life I've prayed for, forgot to do, and it just took a bit of time and waiting and patience and listening, and I look back on my life, even in my journal where I write things in sometimes, where I'm so thankful that God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted him to answer my prayers. Would have been a mess. He was doing something else. He was teaching me to be present with him, not just do things for him, not just try to understand him, but to be present as I shared about the things that I was carrying. And then Jesus begins to kind of turn the corner in the story, and he begins to reveal a little bit more about what's about to happen next. And this is what we're told next. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. I mean, one of the first things Jesus does after his resurrection, 
to begin to help people rediscover who he really is because they've been wrong, is he does a Bible study. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Jesus says, let's go back to the passage of the Bible that you thought you understood and let's look at them again. I'm not just talking about devotional studies. You know, I think many times Christians fail to understand that there's a big difference between like doing your devotionals by yourself with the Lord, please do those, and growing in a discipleship way where you're accountable to other people to grow up. It's a big difference. And I think when we confuse that, we can think, oh, I'm just going to learn by myself. But maybe you should learn this year that this would be the year that you would say that if those who follow Jesus needed help to understand the Bible better, maybe you'll need help to understand the Bible better. Maybe you'll need someone else to walk with you and show you and help you grow and learn and become the kind of leader that people can trust this year. That's one of the values that I pray that God shapes in my life. And I pray it's one of the values that we give to each of you who believe that the 180 is your church where you're growing. That we want to help you understand the scriptures to see how Jesus helps us grow in a deeper way so that we would become leaders people can trust. The biblical word for this is to be spiritually mature so that you're a person who can keep a secret. Someone who understands what it means to be confidential and to pray with someone. There's a lot of people who, who know the Bible, but you look at the beginning as Jesus is helping them rediscover who he is, and he says, let's go back and let me show you from Moses and the prophets and the scriptures. If only we had what Jesus was showing them, right? Maybe this is the year for you for the first time. You'll sign up for a learning series. You'll sign up for a Bible study. You'll say, it's not enough for me to just read my Bible on my own. I want to grow and learn with others who are going to keep me accountable to grow in my understanding of the Bible. The first followers of Jesus had to do that. Why do we think we don't have to? I think because we live in a world full of information that we confuse hearing a talk with really growing and becoming disciples. Listen, if you're listening to this talk and you're not part of a community of faith, you need to find one. It's really important. Because whenever you listen to someone preach from the Bible and you're not also accountable to someone at that church to help you grow, all you're doing is listening to a TED Talk. There's hundreds of videos of people I can watch on the internet and I've never met those people. I will never meet those people. I don't even know if they're real. But preaching and learning to follow Jesus is about learning in such a way where you also look to be held accountable to grow in what you're learning. That's the kind of church we're going to call you to this year. That's the kind of journey we're going to call you to this year. And maybe some of you are going to take that step for the very first time. You, like me, are tired of just having more informations or arguments about what you believe, and you want to grow and understand who Jesus really is. Jesus does an in-depth Bible study with others who are following him, and now they still are not sure. Like, who is this Jesus? What is this really about? They still don't understand. And the Bible tells us that as they keep walking along, Jesus kind of waits as they kind of almost get to their house. I mean, they've been walking for a while. I know people who would be complaining. I know people in our church who would be complaining. Can you think of someone that, that you know that hates to walk? They'd be like, I'm so tired. Get me some water. Like, how long are we going to walk? How long are you going to be with us? Who is this guy? Doesn't he have a family? He's still walking with us? And he's talking to us about the Bible? I know so many times in my life where I complain because this is taking way too long. Some of you already feel that I'm preaching too long. Jesus is walking with them. And they slow down and they're about to go to their house. We're not sure how close they are. Maybe it's just in the distance. And there's something about what Jesus is doing that they beg Jesus to stay with them, to come in. Actually, one of the Bible scholars who talks a bit of the commentary about this passage says it's almost like Jesus begins to see whether they're going to practice hospitality. 
one of the earliest practices that Jesus told his disciples to practice, meaning when someone doesn't have a place to stay or when someone doesn't have a place to eat, that they would open up their home and begin to invite them in. And they passed that test. They asked Jesus, you should stay with us. I mean, look, there's nothing really else going on here. Stay with us. This is what we're told. So profound. It says this, stay with us for it is nearly evening. I mean, they've been walking for a while. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. There's only three of them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? My prayer is that this year you would go back and maybe reread this passage and understand that out of all of the ways that Jesus could have revealed himself and began their experience of rediscovering who he really is, he decides to do it with the meal that he took with his disciples before he was crucified. That not only did they need to understand the scriptures better, but they needed to understand the scriptures through the lens of the cross and the resurrection better. And that as they sit there in that house, as they lounge on the floor and they wait, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup. No one really else in the room, kind of a quiet night. There's only three of us here in the warehouse. It's pretty sad. But there was three of them there. Jesus breaks the bread. And as he begins to serve them and give it to them, their eyes are opened. And their hearts begin to kind of burn in them to be like, he was doing something in us that we couldn't even put words to. What are the things this year that are going to make your heart burn within you? For many people, it's going to be anger. Anger at the government, anger at a family member. For the earliest followers of Jesus, it's understanding God's love in a deeper way that's going to burn in their hearts. It's going to bubble up almost to overflowing. As I look at the chairs in this warehouse, I pray that many of you who in the future are sitting in this room will feel as you worship and as you pray and as you learn, your heart's bubbling up to the surface with things that God is beginning to do in your life and in the life of your family that will set you free that will help you not to ever allow anything else to compete with the ways of Jesus. Maybe this is the year. You know, I think about the list that I asked you to make, that list of things that will compete with Jesus this year. Maybe as we take communion, you would see that the blood of Jesus pours over that list and just makes it obsolete because nothing should compete with the ways of Jesus. Nothing if you're a ministry partner, one of the things we've asked you periodically is to make it a priority to really grow with us. And as difficult as this is going to be over these next few weeks and maybe months, can I encourage you to make it a priority to never miss communion ever when we worship together? To just remember that from the beginning, Jesus will make this meal and a time of learning around this table one of the most sacred ways where he begins to reveal himself so people would discover who he really is. Because every time we come to this meal and every time we rediscover Jesus, we gain a deeper appreciation for the cross. Maybe you want to write that down. That every time we take this meal and every time we slow down to rediscover who Jesus really is, 
our old expectations of the miracle-working Jesus for us kind of fade away and we gain a deeper appreciation for the cross and the resurrection. And when we do that, we then have this hunger and desire to want to grow in the scriptures. What a great commitment that we would make together at the beginning of a new year. That if we do that together, we would experience in the midst of all of the stresses that we will feel, Jesus as the anchor and the foundation of our lives this year. In the next few weeks, I'm going to talk more about how Jesus will invite people to take his teaching seriously. And some, of them, some people won't. So we hope you stay tuned and learn with us in the next few weeks. But now I want to turn our attention and I want us to do something that Jesus did with his disciples in this story. Our, our staff was praying about a way to hear the passage of Scripture of when Jesus takes communion and what it means to prepare a cup and a piece of bread or a cracker. Maybe, maybe you're able to do that right now and it's quiet and you can focus on this moment. And some of our staff have an idea of how beautiful it would be for one of our, one of our children at our church, one of our, our teens or our youth or a young person to read a passage of Scripture for us so that we would hear in a fresh way that night when Jesus took that meal with his disciples. So before we take it together, take a look at this video to help us prepare. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new from the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jackson, for doing that for us. And uh, maybe it helped to hear the scriptures read out loud that way. You know, the earliest Christians would have heard the scriptures read out loud. They would have heard those passages the way we just heard them. And they would have picked up this beautiful moment in the reading where Jesus will break bread and give it to them. And then he'll take the cup and say, this cup will forever remind you of the sacrifice, of the thing that will forever help you to know who I really am. And then he says, this is not just about remembering what I did for you. It's about the fact that I will take this again. I, we will do this again together when his kingdom comes in its fullness. See, in this meal that we're about to take, Jesus invites us to hold in tension the past of what he did, the present of what he's doing, and the future about what he's calling us into together. So I'm going to ask you to take the cracker and the bread and as I break this piece of bread, I invite you to take just a small piece and to remember that on that night, as Jesus gave his life for us, he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And as he gave it to his disciples, he was very much aware that one of them in the room was going to betray him, but that did not change how much he loved them and how much he loves us. So let's take the bread together this morning. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this wine, this cup will forever remind you symbolically of the blood that was shed, of the sacrifice and the love that I had for you. 
you will understand that every time you slow down to rediscover who I really am, you will remember the cross. Let's take the cup together this morning. Almost everybody who had this encounter with Jesus does what Cleopas and the person with Cleopas are going to do in the story next. It tells us that Jesus disappears from their sight. I mean, just when they're thinking they're going to get to hug him and be close to him. I mean, they have maybe their distancing problems just like us. Wink, wink. Right? Jesus is gone. They're like, he's alive. And this is what the Bible tells us they do next. Let me read it for you before I close. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They do a 180. They turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. I mean, they're tired and they've just been walking one way and now they're going to turn around and walk another way. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Maybe this year is the year we learn as a church that almost everybody who had an encounter with Jesus, I don't need that slide, I don't need that slide. Um, everybody who had an encounter with Jesus understood that at some point others should also know about the life-changing power of this Jesus. Almost everybody who had a moment where Jesus did something in their hearts, where things were bubbling in them and they realized he was alive, wanted others to experience that as well. Maybe for some of you, this is the week that in your prayer time and in your quiet time, God brings to your attention someone that you know who's not sure what they believe about Jesus. They're not ready to commit to God. They're not ready to read a Bible. Maybe they don't even own a Bible. But you would maybe just invite them through an email, through sharing a link, to go through this journey together as we learn about Jesus on Sunday. Maybe you're going to be able to just invite them and say, hey, would you join me as I learn? to rediscover Jesus and understand him in a new way with all of your doubts and all of your questions and all of your frustrations, maybe God will bring someone to mind that needs to be encouraged to do this with someone else. And just pray. Just pray for God to open up a door that you to you and I would maybe begin to be used by God at the beginning of this new year to not only have a personal relationship with Jesus, but to want to see other people also say yes to the power of Jesus who opens our eyes to be able to help us understand not only his love, not only his freedom, that because of his sacrifice, we have been set free to know who he really is. I'm going to pray for us. And as we close this morning, let me just say how proud I am of many of you who've been faithful and committed and growing. And we encourage you, set time aside even now to be with us next week, to plug in and learn with us and we are here should you need anything or need to pray with someone and, and just need some encouragement this week. So let us pray as we close. Father, you're at work today the way you've always been by the power of your spirit reminding us of who Jesus really is and calling us back to the scriptures and to the table where everything is revealed to us about your death that pays for our sins and the resurrection hope that we can build our life on. I pray for everyone who's watching or maybe listening who needs to just be reminded that in the midst of the competing things 
that you have a strength for them to set those things aside, to set aside false expectations or misunderstandings about who we want you to be and to embrace who you really were. Not just a historical figure for a magazine, but the living Jesus who's alive and well and by your spirit at work still with us today. May you do something special as we continue to grow and learn and commit to making this time sacred. Help us to be those who take your teaching seriously this year. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey everyone, we're uh, grateful for a chance to do this. Thanks for inviting us into your home, into your car, into just the learning time. God bless everyone and hope to see you again soon.